0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sox Machine Live for this Thursday, September 9th, 2021. I am Josh Nelson, joined also by the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis and hello, Jim, another series for the Chicago White Sox in Oakland and another series where they are leaving Oakland, having lost that series, just mm-hmm. like the postseason in 2020 and every single season with the exception of 2016, that was the last time the White Sox won a series in Oakland. Do we know why Oakland is such a pain in the neck for the White Sox to win games there?
2: Well, for four of those seasons, or at least three of those seasons, 17, 18, 19, the White Sox weren't trying to win. (laughs) So really, (laughs) it's a matter of just the last, you know, 20 and 21. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. You know, like the, I don't think it's a hex or anything like that. I think when you have Jimmy Lambert, Dallas Keuchel, and Reynaldo Lopez starting three games and win one, that sounds like it makes sense. Yeah, but they pitched well. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, when you talk about the odds before the, you know, when you're trying to first guess it before the start of the series and the way it works out is one out of three, regardless of just how it happens, you know, um, that that's why I don't think it's that big of a deal or requires like greater digging. I think it's just more of a matter of things not lining up. Like in this case, the rotation didn't line up to give the White Sox their best chance. It was certainly sufficient. Uh, but then when you have like a, a, getaway day lineup that includes Andrew Vaughn betting fifth, given the way he's struggling and, and uh, Billy Hamilton and Sebi Zavala and Danny Mendick, you know, bringing up the rear. That's just, that's a lot of rear. That, that's a lot of junk in the trunk in the lineup. <laughs> well, the white Sox are 80 and 60.
1: Now uh, they have 22 regular season games remaining as we are, we're inching closer here, folks, the magic number, For the Chicago White Sox is at 14 as we are streaming live for those that are watching on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine. For those that are watching on Periscope via Twitter, hello. For the few folks watching on Twitch, what's up? Uh, Cleveland is currently leading Minnesota, so it looks like that magic number is going to be un- Change, but the Minnesota Twins did the White Sox a solid as they won the first three games of the series to really shrink that magic number for the White Sox as they get closer and closer to clinching a spot in the postseason and clinching the American League Central for the first time since 2008, which is it's way too long, but anyways, that's a, that's a time for another discussion. But after this series against the Oakland Athletics, uh, the White Sox are hoping to get some good news for the upcoming series at home against the Boston Red Sox. We'll touch on that good news. Uh, but I want to go back and circle back to the pitching for the White Sox. One, mm-hmm. uh, for those that listened to our previous episode on Monday, uh, I posed Jim the over-under on 12 innings combined from Jimmy Lambert, Dallas Keuchel, and Renaldo Lopez. Uh, and they went over, Jim. They mm-hmm. they all made it at least five innings. Uh, Jimmy Lambert allowed a lot of hard contact, a lot of loud fly outs, which maybe a guarantee rate field probably ends up as home runs, but they do not at the Oakland Coliseum, especially at night. Uh, and Ronaldo Lopez, I, I feel like the young pitchers pitched well. Mm-hmm. Dallas Keuchel was fine. How would you grade the starting pitching for the White Sox in this series?
2: I think, you know, Lambert, he used the strategy that the park afforded to him, which is big park, big foul territory. Um, You know, let them hit it. Don't get yourself in trouble. Make them get you in trouble. And he didn't. And and, and the the times that he got, uh, you know, maybe his back against the wall, he was able to punch himself off the ropes and did fine. I think Keuchel, same thing, like only walked one batter, hit one batter. But, like, he was... In the strike zone, around the strike zone, not getting into too deep of counts and uh you know getting behind in the count because of nibbling, he was attacking. And I think, you know, had Tony Larusa uh been happy with five innings, I think we might have had a different impression of a start. But you know, he got greedy. And, you know, with them only provide with the offense providing only one run for him, like that's also you know, water into the bridge or like didn't come back to bite him. It's just more a matter of like, well, it made a comeback harder, but based on the way they hit the last two games, like Keiko is fine. And I think at this point in the season, if you're not counting on him starting a postseason game or even being on the postseason roster, like fine is sufficient. Like I think for his season, it's more about trying to figure out whether there's something he can take with him going into 2022. I don't think this season really, there's anything for him given mm-hmm. that the games are largely unimportant at an individual level. L- Lopez, I think what I wanted to see from him was the velocity sticking in a did. He averaged 96 with his fastball is down to like 93, 94, which made me worried, but he seemed to bounce back from that. So, you know, they didn't strike out many hitters. They, you know, forced Oakland to put the ball in play. And ultimately, you know, they they combined to throw 15 and two-thirds innings when I wasn't convinced they would throw 12. You know, I thought maybe one guy would slip up and throw two to three and, and force mm-hmm. everybody else to step up and and have to throw five. But they did it. You know, they, they held up their end of the bargains. They uh, made life easier for the bullpen. They made Tony LaRusso's job easier in terms of just inning here from Ryan Burr, inning here from Aaron Bummer, like Aaron, inning here from Jose Ruiz. Like they just – the the games worked themselves out to where like even when they stumbled like Heichel did it didn't cause complications down the road it was just something unfortunate
1: yeah the White Sox on the run prevention side only allowed eleven runs in these three games against the Oakland Athletics and when you're facing a good team like Oakland on the road and in three games you only allow eleven runs one would think hey you could steal that series. Uh, especially with Lopez. Uh, Lopez's errant pickoff throw really cost him two runs. Uh, Starlin Marte is super fast mm-hmm. <laughs> and scoring all the way from second base on that throw. But the His free agency behind...
2: is going to be fascinating, I think.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I kind of foresee, like, a... you remember the free agency of Lorenzo Kane? And people mm-hmm. were a bit surprised on how much the Milwaukee Brewers were able to, you know, fork over for Lorenzo Kane, but it made a lot of sense. I mean, Kane was a big part of the Brewers making it to game seven and challenging the Dodgers in the national league championship series mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. I foresee... he also took a long
2: time to sign. He like it, it, it took a while for it to work out. So I think, you know, Marte, I think it's a good comp though. You know, Loki's yeah. a good comp.
1: Yeah. It, again, I, I think, He's just gonna have to be patient. If depending on the situation, like what franchise he wants to sign with, he's 32, and for the dollar amount, mm-hmm. I, I think he's gonna have. I think he's gonna have plenty of suitors. I, I don't think he's a hundred million dollar a year player. But if he wants a three or four year contract, I, I think he can get a three or four year contract in this upcoming free agency class. Uh, but the runner behind Marte. Made it all the way to third base and then the sacrifice fly, and then all of a sudden, Ronaldo Lopez, who picked off Josh Harrison with that move but mm-hmm. was too quick with this pickoff move, cost him two runs. But then again, uh, the White Sox offense. So, we I touted them in the game recap on Tuesday because I thought the White Sox offense, Jim, uh, in the Tuesday victory. They had a great night. They did Mm -hmm. a terrific job grinding out at bats, going deep into the count. And even though they were facing pitch eight, pitch nine, pitch 10, they were still making excellent contact, getting extra base hits. They didn't hit a home run in this series. And that is a big deal when you look at the White Sox win-loss record when they don't hit home runs. But they were still getting the extra base hits, and they generated six runs. The next two games, one run apiece. And looking into it a bit further with the White Sox road performance since the all-star break, uh, the White Sox are 11 and 15 in road games. I say road games because Mm -hmm. there was the series at Wrigley, uh, which counts as a road series, but the White Sox don't have to stay in a hotel. They get to go back to their condos and their homes in Chicago. So I really don't count that as a road series. So since the all-star break, The White Sox are eight and 15 in games away from Chicago. Mm -hmm. And a big part of why I see them struggling so much on the road, Jim, is that this offense is only averaging 3.35 runs per game in road games away from Chicago. And there are nights that we see on Tuesday where everything is clicking and it gives you a lot of confidence on, yes, the White Sox can go win the American league pennant with this lineup. And then you watch the next two days, and it's like, what's going on? And I understand the excuse on Thursday that people say that this is the Sunday lineup. We saw a lot of Sunday lineups in the first half of the season, mm-hmm. and that offense did not perform that poorly. Any thoughts on why this offense is very feast and famine at the moment?
2: Well, I think you mentioned one reason, which is uh, on Twitter, you mentioned that you know guys with good sinkers... Uh, you know, whether it's change ups, whether it's drop, like pitchers, pitches with downward movements that can get hitters to swing over the top of it. The white sox can get in ruts where they just keep putting the ball on the ground. And I think that's a bad combination. I think it's also a case where, with Oakland, you know, not hitting a ball out, you know, they have a disparity right now, 94 homers at home, 71 away. So they're, you know, they're, they're deep in the red when it comes to home runs home and away and just lacking that instant offense, needing to cobble together those good plate appearances that end with either, you know, the line drive into the gap or, you know, finding a hole in the infield. It's just when the balls don't find holes in infield I think that's when you know, all of a sudden these innings kind of kind of come crashing to a halt. I thought the you know their their strike zone recognition was pretty good. uh mm-hmm. they' you know, they weren't racking up strikeouts. they you know earlier in the game they made montas work. I think he found a groove afterwards and 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 the later innings were uh easier for him to come by, but they were making him work. They just couldn't get that that knockout punch. and I think it's just sometimes those ground baller tendencies that the lineup has as a whole just comes back to bite them. And I think when it's in a big park where it's, it's harder for those, you know, one swing or you know, two swings in the game to overcome or to, 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 I guess like make up for uh, in a couple innings where you do leave that runner on third because he chopped one back to the mound, or you do run ground into a double play uh, when he had a runner on runners on the corners with one out that those sort of, uh, you know, situations where the white socks were kicking themselves for not cashing in um you, you tend to forget about those when you get a homer two innings later that provides the two runs that you lacked when you weren't maybe expecting them but right now with the way the white Sox offense can be against guys with like sinking stuff i, I think there's uh you know, there's a lot of like painstaking handcrafted innings that you know just take too long to come together. Like kind of like a slow developing play in football. <laughs> just like you yeah, need the, yeah. you know, left tackle to sweep. You need the, uh you know, you need the linebackers to be cleared off. And one of those things doesn't work. Uh, the play collapses and you get tackled for, you know, two yards behind the line of scrimmage, uh, like in tech mobile. I think it's kind of <laughs> that thing with the white Sox offense.
1: Yeah. It, I think they display on how they're going to lose games of the postseason. Mm-hmm. That, the offense if they the sequencing just doesn't work out because even in the loss on Thursday like Billy Hamilton hit a triple and Cesar Hernandez hit a double they actually out hit Oakland seven to six Mm -hmm. but they just can't stream as you mentioned Jim they can't stream like two or three hits in a in an inning to drive in runs right now and they don't steal bases uh, other than Yasmani Grandall not a lot of folks are walking right now.
2: think <laughs> I see stealing bases. They don't steal bases <laughs> aside from Yasmani Grandal.
1: Uh he looks like he wants to though. He looks like he's in a in a good place right now and he's having an incredible slash line coming off the injury list, but someone that's not having a very good time or fun time offensively is Andrew Vaughn. And our friends over at the from the 108 um Participate in their live podcast, their episode one hundred and eight uh, at Crolls in the South Loop in Chicago uh, last night, and Beefloaf keeps bringing up that maybe the White Sox need to give Andrew Vaughn a rest, give him some type of break, maybe a phantom injured list visit uh, because he looks tired, mm-hmm. and I-, I can buy into that because it appears that Andrew Vaughn is pressing. He had better at bats in the Thursday game, but what is it now? Is it like he's two for 56 or something like that with runners in scoring position and two outs? I think it's two for 54, two for 54. Okay. That's not good. And that kind of goes into why this offense is sputtering because no matter where you bat Vaughn in the bottom third of the order, he's getting opportunities. He's just not able to cash in right now.
2: Yeah, I think we had a conversation with Yasmani Grandal being like a cleanup guy lower in the order. Like when the, you know, when say the Abreu Jimenez part of the lineup wasn't, um, you know, knocking the ball to the park or or moving base runners base at a time, but they were getting on base. They needed somebody else to provide that punch, and Grandal was doing that. But when you have Jimenez out because of a freak foul ball injury and you have Makata out uh, and you just uh, all of a sudden you run out of hitters to sustain those kind of innings until they're all up front and and Vaughn's batting fifth. Yeah. You get into that situation where the innings come down to him and he's been a, um, you know, he's been an interesting guy to watch all season just because, you know, when you realize what he's been asked to do, you feel bad. Like, and it, you know, when it comes to the runners and scoring position stat that I keep updating on Twitter, it's like, I'm not picking on him. Or maybe yeah, I'm, I'm, I might be doing it inadvertently or like secondarily, but really I'm just more fascinated by the lack of luck because like in the same game that Vaughn goes 0 for 5 and strands 8, like Brian Goodwin's bat explodes, but he still drops one behind first base, like, you know, maybe 20 feet into the outfield grass to get uh, a two run single. And that's the kind of luck that Vaughn isn't getting. Like that's the kind of luck you should be able to hit into once in a while when you're not striking out the way that like Vaughn avoids striking out, like his strikeout rate's fine. He just, for whatever reason, just does not have the right contact for the situation. And, you know, I remember watching him earlier in the year and just thinking like some of his best contact died in the warning track. And, you know, part of that I think could be just, you know, maybe being more defensive mode, his kind of like general hitting skills, not being geared for power, maybe not having the confidence in a swing to summon the power uh, in game, the way way he might like two years from now, so just when I think of that, I think of like the the grind of the season. When I think of um, you know the weather getting cooler, and in this case with Oakland, the ballpark's getting bigger. Like his best contact was 390 feet and died on the warning track. Like I think, I wonder you know when October rolls around, like if he's somebody who you know ordinarily would be more of a fourth outfielder type or rotate in that DH spot. But you know, Adam Engel has taken so long to get back that I think as long as he's the second right-handed outfielder uh, there's really nowhere else to turn.
1: That's interesting.
2: So if everybody
1: was healthy and you're facing a right-handed starter, probably in game one for Houston, let's say it's Zach Greinke. Is Andrew Vaughn in that lineup?
2: I don't if know. Adam Angle's at the, you know, 100% or close to it, like late season 100% we'll call it, since maybe no players at 100% in September, uh, it would seem like the way he was hitting them before that you'd have to give him a shot. Mm-hmm. Just when you factor in, like, the, you know, his ability to steal a base is, you know, plus defense. Like, you would think he, had, he would add enough versus like Andrew Vaughn versus Zach Greinke.
1: Yeah, I think you still want Vaughn to face the lefties, though.
2: Yeah. So
1: he's still going to be part of the postseason roster, but he might not start as many games, at least in my opinion, as I thought until you made the point just now. Because in my head, yeah, Vaughn's in the lineup for every postseason game. But that that really may not be the case, especially if the White Sox are comfortable enough having Aloy Jimenez play in left field in each of the postseason games, despite what many White Sox fans think that that's not a good idea. That's a surefire way for him to get hurt or hurt the White Sox with his glove. Then I guess they could have some type of rotation at DH then. Huh? Now you got me thinking here, Jim, Mm -hmm. because if you got a right-handed starter, I guess it is fathomable that Gavin sheets gets more plate appearances in a divisional series. Against a team like the Houston Astros and Andrew Vaughn.
2: Yeah, or, you know, Brian Goodwin. Well, like. you may
1: want Brian Goodwin in right field. I- I'm thinking. True. Sure, okay. Scenario. I'm
2: thinking. I was thinking like third outfielder.
1: Got it. Got it. Yeah. yeah. In that scenario, if it's a right handed starter, I'm, I'm imagining Eloy Jimenez in left, Luis Robert in center, Brian Goodwin in right field, and Gavin Sheets as your DH to have another left handed bat in the lineup. That yeah, could be.
2: Uh, that's the case, too. I wonder if they'd swap back in zach collins to the bench just to provide that extra left-handed bat say if they do start a guy like sheets and then they have to sub him out later in the game because of a you know lefty coming in to face him but they still want a left-handed bat that they thought sheets might be so Mm. that's something i have in mind too like still waiting to see you know if they do add a third catcher given that Grandall dh today you know and had to move back behind the plate. it seems like, like they could use one so right. I would they, expect Zach Collins to come into the plan, you know, within like the next week or so as they shuffle the roster a bit. Well, hopefully Andrew
1: Vaughn finds this swing again, because when he did and he had that hot streak, it was incredibly promising. And he helped carry the offense while the White Sox were getting healthy. Right now, I just feel like he's pressing and he's trying to keep up with The regulars the core guys in the lineup and as you mentioned jim it it has been a good season for andrew vaughn he's just hitting a rookie wall right now in the month of september and yeah the game is finding him and he is struggling with two outs and with runners in scoring position but you know if he, he can go two for 60 in the regular season but if he goes Three for eight in the postseason, Jim. Everybody forgets about this stretch. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think that's what everybody's hoping for is that the he's due. The, the, regre- the great regression will happen in a uh in a postseason where he wins one of the possible MVPs.
1: All right, so let me read you a slash line. In his last fourteen games, this White Sox player is hitting four thirteen with a four sixty-three on base percentage. And slugging 5.22. Now, if for those that are watching on YouTube live uh, or for those listening to the podcast version of this episode, you may say, wow, Yasmani Grandal is having a great 14-game stretch. Well, actually, Grandal's numbers are better than what I just read. Uh, But that's the slash line for Lurie Garcia. Mm -hmm. Yes, Lurie Garcia in his last 14 games is hitting better than 400. I don't know what's gotten into Lurie Garcia, but you wrote about Garcia on SoxMachine.com, Jim, uh, pitching a non-crackpot theory on why Lurie Garcia uh, is hitting as well as he has. And I guess my question, following up that piece that you wrote, do you think it is all about being comfortable defensively uh, that he's not bringing his glove to the plate? Because when he was at second base, it was clear that he was struggling at almost every facet of the game. He's filling in for Tim Anderson, at shortstop, and now he's excelling.
2: No, I was mainly, yeah, I I had to put non crackpot in the headline, which is always a great uh, indicator that uh, you're really, feeling solid about your idea, but for those who didn't read the post, I recommend you do so because everything I write is great. But beyond that, like there's a chart that talks about um, just his slash lines based on what positions he plays. And when he's playing on the left side of the infield shortstop, third base, he's batting over 300 His on base percentages in the high 300s. He's slugging 464 as a shortstop. He's slugging 379 as a uh, third baseman. Uh, And this is over the course of like his time as like the super utility guy, like 2017 on, like beforehand, he was also a super utility guy, but not really super, just more of utility. Uh, But that's 2017 is when his bat showed up and was really like a feasible player to carry on a a bench for an entire season. But when you look at the other position, center, second, right, left, like that's when the numbers become more ordinary. And, you know, my thought, looking at center field line, which is where he has the most playing time by far, more than twice the amount of uh, plate appearances against any other position. Like he's batting 282, his on-base percentage is 319, his slugging percentage is 415. That's more or less what he's done during that stretch. Uh, And and I think that's probably really – indicative of what he's done over extended amounts of playing time and i think like when he's playing center like when he did in 2018 that was just you know the white Sox not having anybody better to play there he had to play every day because he is the best combination of defense and somebody who wasn't like a a forfeited bat at the plates eventually League caught up to him like you know he you know got overexposed and, you know, he had some, you know, little injuries here and there. And so he just had like an unimpressive batting line, but I think, you know, part of it is when he, you know, has to drop into a position like shortstop and play there every day. And it's like a short-term assignment. Uh, Part of me wonders if there is some kind of uplift there where he's like, all right, this, this is my time for 10 days. This is my responsibility to the team. Uh, and it's a clear task at hand uh, and it's short enough to where like he can get hot and stay hot a little bit and eventually not get figured out or you know get hurt to where like he has to play at 70% every day and that'll drag down his numbers naturally It's just a nice tidy limited temporary assignment that he can knock out and I think that might be you know one of his strengths to this white Sox team is like, if you need to step in for a week or two, he can, it's like when you need him to play every day over the course of three to four months, even if it's every day at a, at a different position, like rotating between second and center and right. I think that's when he can get a bit uh, worn down or just, you know, not, not on the, one of these special hot streaks that he gets on, but he's uh, he's one of those guys who's fun to watch just because like he's he's rewarding to somebody who watches every game and and watches, like, most of his at-bats just because trying to figure him out through the stats, trying to figure him out through heat maps, trying to figure him out through, like, chase rates. Like, nothing is special about his plate discipline. Nothing is special about uh, just his swing rates. You know, just he's still swinging early when he can, when he wants to. Um, There's nothing there. It's just more a matter of, like, somehow he's walking twice as much as he ever has why i don't know it just he's (laughs) he's putting up just more of a fight like he gets in the you know uh, one thing i noted is that like he gets into two strike counts but he's able to work his way out of it whether with a single or whether with drawing a walk but there are some sometimes he gets on base when you don't expect him to whether because he's o2 or whether he got behind o2 but worked a walk and that's i think something when he's you know in a, in a groove where he just gets feisty. I think it's probably the best way to put it. It's like, he's not going to, you know, get on a, a Yasmani Grandal streak where he's like, you know, blasting homers from both sides of the plates. He's slugging four digits. Like he's just going to be, he might have that game once in a while. But I think like when he's working, he's just kind of, a pain and surprising and somebody don't mind the bottom of the order or can surprise you at the top of the order by getting on base a couple times and running the base as well. I think with Tim Anderson being so good at scoring when he gets on base, I just, uh, that, that's what I had in mind where he's kind of like a tribute band of a good band when he's filling in for Tim Anderson. Whereas like when he's filling in for Danny Mendick or bad Adam angle, he's just more of a tribute band for, uh, I guess Nickelback would be the punching bag, but they're, <laughs> but maybe Bands that never hit it big in the first place. That's going to be the tribute band he is in other positions. And that's just kind of what came to mind. Have
1: you ever seen a good tribute band live?
2: Uh, no, I've seen, I, I think the best bands I've seen that do tributes are more like era tribute bands where they have a couple different singers can rotate in and can play a couple different bands, but I've never really invested time in a tribute band that does one band only.
1: Yeah. I've seen some bad ones in my time. I've seen a really bad Motley Crue one. I've seen a terrible Def Leppard one, Mm. which I, the guy was clearly mumbling the words (laughs) to pour some sugar on me, uh, requiring the crowd to do most of the heavy lifting on that song.
2: If you're a tribute band and forget the words.
1: it's yeah. wisconsin gem uh,
2: yeah i mean albany a, got those bands too like they would sell yeah have theaters for like zozo uh a tribute band for led zeppelin or yeah <laughs> a lot of like i think there are three different led zeppelin tribute acts that can't i remember there was uh zozo and then there was les zeppelin and all-female ah, nice yeah but they had just like three of them that would play theaters in albany and just like hey, that's kind of But yeah, I've never, I imagine they have to be good if they're actually touring (laughs) and and playing places that sell tickets. But yeah, when it comes to the cover bands of places that maybe don't sell tickets that are just there to provide live entertainment. But yeah, Yeah. for people who weren't weren't there to watch them, I think that's when you get dicey. And that's sometimes the the mode that Garcia gets into when he's forced to cover for somebody who doesn't uh, do that well in the first place.
1: I would love to hear... As far as our listeners' feedback on what kind of tribute band
2: Luri Garcia would be, yeah, there's also a uh, there's a Sublime tribute band that played in Albany a lot too, huh? Yeah, hmm, like Badfish tribute. I think hmm. that was it was a Badfish a tribute to Sublime, but yeah, so yeah, we saw a number of them in the Capital Region, which is why I went to a lot of concerts when they weren't like any kind of concert I was halfway interested to. I went just to like support the arts and support the arts. I wanted to see So support the Led Zeppelin tribute bands, all three of them. Oh, <laughs> well, no, I didn't support them. I support the original <laughs> artists. Uh, Cause I figured that the tribute band seemed to be, you know, it seemed to be a rife economy for them.
1: <laughs> well, Lurie Garcia, we're not saying that you are a Led Zeppelin tribute band, but I would love to hear what kind of tribute <laughs> band folks think, uh, Lurie Garcia is.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right. So the White Sox, this was not a very good road trip uh, for them going to Kansas City And then going to Oakland, they lose four out of six. But they now come home where they have been playing far better baseball this year at Guaranteed Ray Field. And they are going to be playing against the Boston Red Sox. And the storyline when it comes to the Red Sox is very similar to the storyline we discussed uh, about the series with the Oakland Athletics before the series began. uh, That the Oakland Athletics really needed that series, especially getting swept by the Toronto Blue Jays. To stay in the race as far as in the wild card, they're still in third place in the American League West behind Houston and Seattle, which is a big surprise. But the Athletics are still in striking distance. The Boston Red Sox come into Chicago. They're 80 and 62, and right now they have a half game lead over the New York Yankees to host that wild card game. Now the Yankees are getting beat up as we are streaming live on youtubecom soxmachine. By those Toronto Blue Jays who have already won seven games in a row. Uh last I checked the scoreboard, uh the Blue Jays were winning against the Yankees. It's tied at two. It's tied at two now. Yes. Uh the Blues the Blue Jays are trying to make it eight in a row and really get this wild card race super tight, especially in the American League East. And, again, Oakland needed these two game, these two wins against the White Sox. And with Boston visiting the south side, they really need these wins against the White Sox uh, to stay ahead of the Yankees and Blue Jays in the American League East because it could be possible if the White Sox were able to sweep this series against the Red Sox, the Red Sox can go from second place in the American League East to fourth place in over a weekend. That's how tight the race is between the Red Sox Yankees and Blue Jays. Uh, let's take a look at the probable pitchers for the White Sox in this series, and there could be some good news. Uh, again, right now, this is not confirmed. These are just the probable pitchers, but this is based on the pregame press conference from Tony LaRussa. The Chicago White Sox could be getting both Carlos Rodon and Lance Lynn. For This weekend series it is confirmed that Dylan Cease is going to be making the Saturday September 11th start That's a 6 10 p.m. Central time start. So a Saturday night start against the Red Sox Friday night It looks like it's going to be Carlos Jordan and then Sunday It's going to be Lance Lynn and in that Lance Lynn start on Sunday. It is against old friend Chris sale for the Boston Red Sox and Chris sale has been pitching really well For the Red Sox, since coming off the injured list with his Tommy John surgery, uh, rejoining the Boston Red Sox halfway through the season. All right, Jim. So, again, like I mentioned, the Red Sox really need this series. Mm -hmm. And for the White Sox, they're getting some good news. The White Sox need to get healthy. Uh, We've talked about it. Their health is priority number one. Trying to get home field advantage over the Houston Astros is priority number two. Uh, and if they can get Carlos Rodon back, if they can get Lance Lynn back, that's great news. But I wanted to get your thoughts about what's going on with Tim Anderson. Mm-hmm. Because as he keeps getting asked about when he's going to return and how he is feeling, Anderson keeps repeating that his legs continue to feel sore. I asked you a couple of weeks ago, how concerned are we about Tim Anderson's injury? Has that concern raised at all? Based on his most recent comments about his legs?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the condition I call it is vague leg, and it's come <laughs> up a couple of times, and neither of them were good. Uh, the first one that came to mind, or what I phrased it, was uh, Johan Makata when he was dealing with his, uh, you know, it was shifting injury. They, they kind of uh, described it differently depending on the day, and turned out that he was dealing with COVID after effects in September. But I think like the, couple of days before in September of 2020, they, they attributed to a leg problem that was keeping him out. And then two days later he said like, "Nope, just COVID has been kicking my butt. And then, you know, a few years before it was Brett Laurie with the orthotics and the knee injury and then the hip injury and then kind of shifting back and forth. And, you know, with the way he kind of un, he seemed to like unravel mentally a little bit, like afterwards, just like he had some strange interviews and, uh, just, I don't know if he just lost his drive, his sense of self, his confidence had like a identity crisis or something like that, but he didn't play again. He had a comeback attempt that failed with the Brewers, but you know, he was a case where just like, it was hip. It was leg. It was neither. It was both. And that's kind of, those are the two things that come to mind. So I think like, you know, before, you know, like when I called Anderson's like a, you know, I try to think what number I gave it like two or three for concern, just because he was playing through it and playing well and he played, but hearing him uh, describe it kind of makes it more of a five or something like that just because uh, the other issues like this uh, were not great ones or pointed to problems that didn't go away even with rest. Like it took an off season in the case of Lori, just never came back. But I think he had other issues to deal with. Um, that, that's kind of my concern. So that's why I'm appreciating uh, that's why I, uh, that's why I'm doing like Larry Garcia, appreciate appreciation posts, just because if he weren't doing what he's doing, uh, it would look a lot ifier. I think in the middle infield when it's both him and then, uh, Cesar Hernandez, who's not quite getting it together. And then a Danny Mendick, who is just there because, you know, Anderson's out, but probably on the wrong side of the quadruple a player cycle right now.
1: Yeah. Now, those are good points. And the White Sox did not have Aloy Jimenez for the last two games against the Oakland Athletics because of a fluke line drive sailing into the dugout and hitting him in the knee. Of course, it's Aloy Jimenez that gets hit in the knee by a foul line drive. Uh, The White Sox are hopeful that Jimenez will be rejoining the White Sox lineup for this weekend series against the Boston Red Sox it's it feels like years ago uh with how long the 2021 year has been uh and especially the 2021 season jim the last time the white Sox faced the red sox back in april (laughs) so long ago uh the red sox then could hit Mm -hmm. and it was pretty apparent even though they struggled a little bit getting swept by the baltimore orioles to start the season That the Red Sox had plenty of offense, but the pitching was going to be an issue for them. And I still feel like those are the same questions regarding the Red Sox. Do they have enough pitching? And the way that Nathan Eovaldi is throwing and now getting Chris Sale back, it seems like Red Sox Nation is pretty comfortable with their one-two punch as far as the starting rotation. And they have some guys that are stepping up as far as the bullpen. But this is all about the offense for the Boston Red Sox. And with Carlos Rodon and Lance Lynn coming back, this is a pretty stiff test, uh, especially with Rodon dealing with shoulder fatigue and then Lynn coming off the injured list. Mm -hmm. Um, But you got to like this pitching problem matchup. If it does hold true that it is Rodon, Cease, and Lynn more than what the White Sox trotted out against Oakland. How do you think the White Sox starters are going to hold up against this Boston Red Sox lineup?
2: I think it's, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit when we were talking about Jose Abreu and how he always shows up in August <laughs> and thinking like, that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy when you're thinking like, oh you know, four months of the season and you're having a so-so year and you're at the heart of the order and you think, oh, you know, just wait till the fifth month. <laughs> and just that builds up a lot of pressure and then he delivers. And I think it kind of feels like a similar kind of pressure here just with the how inspired the play has been as of late, to have like, whoa, they're waiting for Rodon, they're waiting for Lance Lynn, they're waiting for Lucas Giolito, they're waiting for Tim Anderson. You know, Eloy you know, Jimenez got a hit, that's another blow. Adam Engel, like they have all these guys who, you know, they can rattle off coming back and can theoretically help. But, you know, given that they're injuries, that it's September, like you never quite know. So I think it would, um, you know, it, it's kind of incumbent on the White Sox starters, especially, I think, you know, Lynn Giolito. Rodan, I think, you know, if he's given the White Sox what he could possibly give them this year, uh, it's hard to complain based on their preseason expectations. just more unfortunate that he couldn't see it through in peak form, and they just have to manage the more mortal version for the rest of the way. But when it comes to Lynn and Giolito, I think it's, you know, important for them to, if they don't quite show up for this start because they're on a pitch count or they're going to have very conservative hooks, like by the second start, I think that's when you want to see him come back. So, you know, while that extends the, you know, built in excuses for another three days, when I think a lot of fans are already a little wary that they've been playing, um, you know, so compromised and so shorthanded slash flat for so long that it, it, they could worry about setting in. But I would think this is like the last weekend where they can blame you know, they can, they can legitimately point to players. They're missing uh, players that are uh, lacking or need to get back up to speed. And then I think by next week, that's when I think it gets real again.
1: And then finally, we'll conclude this episode talking about the old friend at the Condor, Chris sale, making his first return to the South side. Since his May 3rd, 2019 start in which sale pitched six scoreless innings, striking out 10 White Sox hitters, walking just one and only allowed three hits. This 2021 lineup is far better than the 2019 lineup that Chris Sale faced uh, in the South Side of Chicago. Uh, But how do you feel about Sale's chances against the White Sox here uh, and his return back to Guarantee Rayfield?
2: Well, I think he's, you know, the ERA is fine. Um, you know, he's we've seen him be tough without his best velocity in, in years where he was intentionally throwing slower. So the fact that he's not hitting high 90s like he was with this peak with the White Sox, like his peak in Boston, um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna be easier, but uh it, it seems like you know, maybe the Sean Maniah start is kind of a indicator of what might lie in store if the White Sox are again, shorthanded, like if Mankata isn't making starts against lefties, if Andrew Vaughn is still in there and struggling, like I can see the Sean Minaya start being a template. Uh, But uh, I am, I'm looking forward to seeing Sale again. Like I'm, I'm somebody who wants him to get in the hall of fame. Like that's just generally where I'm at with him. Uh, Like I know that he didn't always conduct himself well professionally when it came to the white Sox. I think personally he was good with fans. He was, Uh, good when it came to his duties on the mound like he he did what he could for the White Sox I think he was maybe not the leader they needed and I think he was somebody who got elevated by a leadership vacuum and thus like his flaws were you know like when he got to the Red Sox like they had a, a hierarchy that could basically allow him to be mad in the dugout and people could just shrug at him (laughs) Just maybe not take it too seriously and they could like look at Mookie Betts and say like, what do you think? And, 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 and take his cue for things rather than like, you know, be counting on sale to be the tone setter or uh, you know, somebody who destroys the tone because he can't set one. But uh, you know, if he fares well, like I enjoy seeing him pitch well. So that's a case where uh, I'm not going to be mad because I always, I like seeing him do well. Like I would like to see him, you know, watching the hall of fame inductions uh, this week. Like I would like to see sale get one of those because like, he's still the most dominant pitcher I've ever seen in an everyday season. Like I know the way Red Sox fans talk about Pedro Martinez, like sale didn't quite get to that level, but start to start, he felt like he he could make anything possible. Like, you know, 15 strikeouts, no hit bid, just uh, insane swings and misses. Like he was always that kind of appointment viewing. So like, I want to see him, I wouldn't mind seeing if he stumbled against <laughs> the White Sox and they, they wrecked him. But like, I want to see him come back and get back to full strength eventually. And if it happens to be like, he looks like a full strength sale right now, just, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm happy for him personally.
1: Yeah. The circumstances have changed for the White Sox since that trade, because now you on in need everyday lineup like he was in 2019. Uh, but now Michael Kopech is part of the bullpen. The, the two players, the White Sox got for Chris sale and I'm, I'm interested to see what the fan uh, reaction is going to be welcoming Chris Sale back. Now, the Sunday game is the opening kickoff weekend for the National Football League. So I think we're, we're now in the part of the schedule which Sunday home games are going to see an attendance drop as more and more fans opt to watch the Chicago Bears on Sunday especially if they are competing directly um, with the White Sox at home. Uh, But with the White Sox at home, I I, wondering as far as the fans in attendance on how they're going to receive Chris Sale uh, when he steps on the mound. And I bring this up because I was watching the Dodgers and Cardinals series, and Mm -hmm. it was amazing that even after all these years, when Albert Pujols steps up to the plate, the St. Louis Cardinals fans continue to give him a standing ovation even though he left St. Louis a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a, it's interesting because I could see Chris sale getting a lot of booze. I don't think, I think you're in the minority gym for most white Sox fans. When they think about Chris sale, like you are very appreciative about everything that sale did in a white Sox uniform. When he was on the mound,
2: <laughs> I had but, to watch him,
1: but, Most White Sox fans still look at him as the guy that cut up all the jerseys, Mm -hmm. not the guy that set the new single season strikeout record or had that insane 10 plus strikeout streak uh, during the years and being one of those dominant pitchers in the American League wearing a White Sox uniform. I think White Sox fans have mostly forgotten about that and they just remember him having. Adam and Drake LaRoche's jersey in his uh, locker during spring he training multitudes. <laughs> and cutting up a bunch of uniforms. And I, I think that's unfortunate.
2: Yeah. But, you know, one thing is the Bears play Sunday night. So,
1: oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, I don't even so, know the Bears schedule.
2: Yep. So at least, you know, perhaps it still will be a hit of people arrange their days to get stuff done during the day in order to have the night free. But I can imagine the game being well attended and maybe, subsequent Sundays dropping off. But uh, yeah, I think uh, if the White Sox, you know, you know, ding them for six runs over four innings and the, the crowd got to chant them out to uh, Nana Hey Hey and uh, uh, you know, razz them on the way I'd like that's fine. I would enjoy that too. But I think either way uh, wouldn't say I win, but you know, just I'm happy for the pitcher.
1: Yeah. I, I don't think he's getting a standing ovation when he's on the mound before he throws the first pitch in the bottom of the first yeah.
2: Half. I think the thing with Pooh though is because he went to the American League team, like I think it's easy for him to disappear for years at a time. Uh, and then, you know, he might come back to, you know, Bush Stadium once every four or five years. So I think that's probably why it's easier mm. to give him a standing. Also, you know, the fact that he uh yeah, he made the Cardinals decision to not retain him look smart. Probably makes it easier too. Whereas Sales had some accomplishments; he's won a World Series. Like, yeah, perhaps him pitching well still and delivering for a team that won it all. Like, that could mean like just maybe make it a little bit of a uh, uh, where the White Sox don't feel as indebted to him, or like yeah. maybe just the 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 uh, like oh he pitched for somebody else, so he doesn't need us anymore. Maybe maybe the Cardinals partially just feel like kind of sad for what has happened to Pujols and just, you know, want to remember the fond times. Whereas for Sale, I think he can, once he's back fully and limitation free from Tommy Johnson, he can probably pick up where he left off.
1: Well, we'll see in how Chris Sale does against the Chicago White Sox. And hopefully the White Sox win this series against the Boston Red Sox. And if Cleveland continues to sputter, who knows, maybe that magic number gets below 10 after the weekend there is a chance of that happening but the white Sox need to have a good weekend the offense needs to step up big time to match the firepower of the boston red sox lineup the weather is going to be absolutely perfect in chicago we're looking at mid 70s low 80 degrees uh, with the night cooling off a little bit so the temperature is going to be great it's going to be dry for all those that are going to the games this upcoming weekend uh, I'll see you the guys there on Saturday. It, it should be a really fun time. So hopefully the White Sox definitely pick up their play and they at least win this series against the Boston Red Sox. And we'll recap that series on the next episode of the Sox Machine podcast that will be coming out next monday but that will do it for this episode of socks machine live thank you to everyone that watched the live stream whether that was on our youtube page at youtube.com socks machine or on periscope twitter if you follow us on twitter we're at socks machine you can follow me on twitter at socks machine underscore josh and of course the folks that are watching on our twitch stream As well, if you don't get an opportunity to watch the live stream, no worries. Every episode of socks machine live is uploaded into the podcast feed, which you can listen to the socks machine podcast, wherever you subscribe to podcasts. If you enjoy our work and want more. Think about signing up at patreon.com slash socks machine where our patreon supporters get ad free content uh, both as far as with the podcast and the website they get exclusive content as well. They also get bonus PO socks on the socks machine podcast and they get first opportunity for the socks Machine swag. And Jim, I know the last time we chatted about this, it was all about the pint glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are we doing as far as in the pint glasses and as far as demand right now?
2: Oh, we're doing just fine right now. I ordered plenty, so yeah, there's still opportunity to get involved and For those uh, who want to know, like, if you subscribe to the 10 war tier for an entire year for the annual plan, you will get one included automatically. Uh, Once I kind of uh, get another week to gauge um, response, just wanted to make sure that the, the holiday weekend was behind us and such and people were fully apprised, then I'll be putting some on the store. But I will probably reserve a healthy amount for supporters and make it more of an exclusive gift just to thank you for your support.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. We already had quite a few folks that are in the 10 war. And again, that's $10 a month, or we now have yearly plans, annual plans, uh, in which you pay for 11 months, but get 12 months. So you save 9%. And I know that people have been asking for annual plans, it seems like for three years now, and we finally got them. So if you want to, if you're already a Patreon supporter and want to upgrade your account to an annual plan, you can do so. Uh, or if you just discovered Sox Machine and you're like, hey, I want to help these guys out, go to patreon.com slash to sign up today. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I am Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening